My dog shits cash. Part 6. Once more over the horizon. A few months later and they had a system, Nathan and Winnie. They woke up around noon and not a minute later. Nathan would then boil the kettle and make two cups of strong instant coffee. One in a mug with a broken handle and another in a shallow dish which he placed on the kitchen floor. Then they drank in silence and they kept on drinking until the coffee did its job. At the first bubbling of their guts, Nathan would excuse himself and announce that one has to use the little boy's room. He then opened an old leather briefcase, placed it on the floor and then quickly scurried to the bathroom. Since he'd started experimenting with the productivity benefits of multitasking, he'd taken to staring at the gaps in the wallpaper and listening to the Terry Rowling's motivation self-help tapes he used to sell. He'd worked his way through all of seven habits of people better than you and was already halfway through how to 10x your mindfulness. He enjoyed the little bursts of inspiration they gave. They were like shots of caffeine injected directly into the deeply unsatisfied parts of his psyche. Unfortunately, the bursts were particularly short and would often fizzle out by the time he was finished on the toilet. After he'd completed another module, the latest being the power of massive thoughts, and he'd washed up, brushed his teeth and got dressed, Winnie was also done, having added to the unruly mountain of cash in the briefcase. Who's a good girl? he would say, patting Winnie on the head. I am, she'd reply with a cheeky tail wag. It was a leather briefcase with metal clasps, the sort of briefcase you would expect to be used in a dodgy drug deal where people got shot and betrayed and the guy who's handcuffed to the case gets his hand sawn off. No hand or cuff or drug deal was attached to this case, but there was a lot of money in there. In fact, there was so much cash that it's becoming increasingly difficult to close. Was there a million pounds in there? Ten million? A hundred million? A gabillion? You'll never know. Also, Nathan will never know. He stopped counting after the first five grand because counting all those notes took ages and made his fingers smell weird. After the morning chores were done, and by chores I just mean Winnie shitting into the briefcase, they opened the fridge, now always fully stocked, still with the uneaten broccoli floret somewhere at the back, and prepared for breakfast. Breakfast consisted of bacon and eggs with expensive seeded toast and butter and fancy crushed sea salt flakes and a glass of freshly pressed orange juice with more coffee on the side. They ate, talked about their dreams or whatever Netflix TV show they'd been binging, or podcast they'd been listening to, or how they wished they could start a podcast of their own. It would be so deep, said Winnie one afternoon. Yeah, if only a microphone could pick up your telepathic voice. Could you make a microphone that did that? Maybe I could. If anybody could, it would be you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Probably need to get a degree in telepathic science or whatever, though. You could do that. You reckon so? You could do anything. Oh, thanks, Wynn. I appreciate that. I was thinking, though. Go on. What if I'm not a telepathic dog at all? Nathan thought about scratching his chin, all philosopher-like. Instead, he ate more bacon. What if my voice is just in your mind? Like... I'm just a normal dog, and you've created this whole voice and personality for me that doesn't really exist. You know, what if, what if there's a huge 
Conspiracy where everyone in the world is trying to convince you that you could talk to a dog. It's some sort of big reality TV style experiment. Or, what if every human gives their dog a voice? If for some reason you just got confused, thought it was a psychic link, but really it's just the voice you give me in your head. How can you be so sure that my voice is coming from my head? Interesting. So you're saying I might be insane? No, you're saying it. I'm just a dog. Hang on, I've got an itch. Winnie nibbled at her side. I mean, by that logic, everything could just be in my mind, couldn't it? What if the world doesn't exist and it's only real because I imagine it? That's dumb. Yeah, yeah it is. They giggled, Nathan with his mouth and Winnie with her brain. BRB, she said as she climbed down from the sofa, lapped from her water bowl, leaving Nathan in the living room considering his mental stability and or godhood as he finished a piece of toast. Usually, after they were done with breakfast, the maid arrived. The maid was a young lady with purple hair called Soib, or something like that. She was nice, didn't seem to trust Winnie though. Some people just don't feel comfortable with intelligent creatures around that bark at them when they don't change their water bowl or fluff up the pillows in the dog bed. Nathan paid Soib £50 a day to clean the pots, hoover and sweep the floors, wipe the brown stuff off the TV. How did it keep getting there? Was the TV producing it? and wash all of his clothes. That was a lot of money to pay a cleaner, but Nathan's view of finances was becoming increasingly skewed. Prime example, his suit made entirely of cash. We'll come back to that. Winnie didn't know that she was the goose that laid the golden egg. She just liked that going to the toilet made Nathan happy, and she also enjoyed going to the toilet. It was win-win for Winnie. And even though she didn't ask for anything in return, Nathan treated her to a collection of fine collars which she didn't wear, She'd worn that same blue collar she had on for years, ever since she was a puppy. She said it was more her style, but she appreciated the gesture anyway. Nathan also purchased her a premium dog bed. He bought her a bunch of new balls, many flavours of dog treats, and had asked if she wanted a playmate. But Winnie didn't need any of it. But keep the balls coming. Okie doke. Oh, and one thing. Yes? We have to go home. This is our home. No, I mean a real home. Okay. When? Later, Nathan said. Always later. One day, while Soib cleaned the flat, Nathan and Winnie went for a walk. Their usual routine included frequenting the high street cafes, apart from Starbucks. Sometimes they would go back to the graveyard and then see Cran's band play, but that wasn't often. Those nights nearly always ended up with them waking up hungover in the middle of the woods. Around 2pm, they returned to their clean apartment. It was time for a quick nap on the sofa, maybe watch a little TV, and then Nathan would do one of the guitar lessons on the instructional DVDs he'd bought. Usually, getting bored with practicing scales, he would just look at himself in the mirror whilst holding the guitar. You're so rockstar, Winnie would say and Nathan would strum a discordant mess and Winnie would howl along out of tune, do little circles around the living room as if it was a gig, as if it was real. So are you, Nathan said one time, inviting Winnie onto the little stage area. They were a man and dog duo, and Soib was their audience. Though she put her earphones in and listened to another true crime podcast about murders and the people who do them, 
She listened to every single true crime podcast out there, could talk about the different killers and the brutal ways they killed their victims for hours on end. Nathan was becoming quite concerned that one day she'd murder someone just so there would be more true crime podcast content to listen to. By around 3pm, Soib would finish cleaning up and head home for the day. After that, Nathan and Winnie snacked on crisps and sandwiches and cheese cubes and got to work on their secret project, the aforementioned suit of cash. It was only a secret project in the sense that Nathan refused to tell Winnie what it was for, but he'd been taking the briefcase to a haberdashery and returning every few days wearing another item of clothing, completely made of cash. So far he had cash socks, cash trousers, a cash beanie, a cash shirt and a cash tie. So close, Nathan said to Winnie, tucking his cash shirt into his cash trousers. Close to what? Finishing the suit and then... Then... I don't want to say just yet, but just know that what we're doing here is, is saving a life. That's what the goal is, Win. We're saving a life. Outside the apartment, the brothers Chihuahua sat in their van and they watched and they waited. They watched and they waited. They watched and they waited. It was pretty boring, to be honest. It always was, stewing in reminders of their financial woes, branded flyers and posters with their faces smiling, mid-jig, overalls fresh and teeth photoshopped white, promising the greatest wash and dry and groom this side of Cleethorpes. Whilst they sat, Ernesto stewed and dreamt of a better future, a world full of dogs with hairdos both glamorous and culture-defining, whereas Paolo broiled and bubbled and remorsed over all of their lost years. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. They were supposed to have a TV show, a branded dog shampoo, a best-selling book on airport shelves everywhere, and best of all, a chart-topping discussion podcast called Chihuahua, now look at Doza, Paolo thought, only watching and waiting, watching and waiting, playing I Spy, practicing vocal harmonies, occasionally getting call-outs for the odd dog job, and some jobs were particularly odd, and the dogs that required the jobs, odder still. But no matter how odd the job or how large the dog, they would always return to that parking spot when they were done, and they would watch and they would wait, they would watch and they would wait, they would watch and they would wait. Since Winnie had broken through the crust covering Nathan's pineal gland, a crust that had developed from years of drinking tap water from a water system treated with fluoride, Google it, the conspiracy is real, the government adds fluoride to toothpaste, pesticides and tap water because they don't want you psychic and they especially don't want you talking with your dogs. Fight the system, drink rain. Nathan had been dreaming a lot more. Most nights he dreamt of rolling around on his mum's kitchen floor, his school clothes now much too small for him, smothering himself in loose dog hair, his mum somewhere just out of view, still sinking into her jacket. Just one more woman, trapped in a jacket, she'd say, her voice getting smaller as she tumbled into the ever-increasing folds of her coat. Me too, Nathan would shout. What? his mum would say. Me too. What? Me too. What? He would keep shouting and she would never hear. 
Mostly though, even with a crustless pineal gland, Nathan dreamed of nothing. Well, not nothing. Even in those void dreams, he saw Duke, the Great Dane from his mum's pack, wandering around, sniffing where he shouldn't be sniffing. How did you get in here, Duke? Nathan would say. Who let you in? Duke didn't reply because he wasn't a talking dog like Winnie. He was just a normal dog. Well, one that could travel through dreams. He was also particularly stubborn, which was characteristic of the breed, not the dreamwalking, the stubbornness. So he didn't answer when called to, just continued sniffing and searching through the folded away memories of childhood embarrassments and the torn, discarded pieces of Nathan's cringier memories. He'd wander and sniff, poke through Nathan's first day of school, first crush, last crush, the time he shit his pants, the time he threw up after smoking a cigarette in front of the cool kids, the time he scored the winning goal at the school competition in the wrong net, the time he got caught masturbating. Duke would sniff his way into Nathan's subconscious, wander through liminal corridors, up Escher stairways, down the sliding slope of Nathan's neural horizon, into the black hole in which his memories went to die. Duke sniffed through every nook and cranny of Nathan Alabaster's mind space and, always, Duke would bark when he found it. Always. And each time Nathan couldn't see what it was he was barking at, it was just too far away, too blurry. Just one more woman trapped in his jacket, his mum would say. Me too, Nathan would reply. What? she'd say. And Duke would bark like he'd found a bone buried in the dirt. He'd bark and bark and bark until Nathan woke. Winnie, Nathan would say to the darkness, shaking and cold. Are you awake? I am now, she would reply, her voice floating in the shadows, unmoored until he reached into the dark to find her. Good. Just making sure you're still there. I am. Okay, thanks. Are you alright? Nothing is right at this time, Nathan would say placing his hand on Winnie's side. Only sleep is correct. And to his sleep, Nathan would return, back to the dreams, or not dreams, and back to the Great Dane, trespassing again, searching always. It was the morning of February 14th, and Winnie was excited. It's Valentine's Day. It is. What did you get me? Nathan woke early to listen to the last module of the current Terry Rowling's Motivation Nation tape. This one was all about manifesting one's dreams and desires whilst also looking like a million bucks. It was called The Subtle Art of Getting Fucked, with some extra stuff about dreams and desires in that. He handed Winnie a handful of cheese cubes. Happy Valentine's Day. You are so rockstar. Nathan wiped his hands then finished his workout of nine sit-ups and a single press-up, a quick shower and then he headed out to the haberdashery to pick up the final piece of his secret project, a bouquet of flowers made entirely out of cash. This wasn't some homemade arts and crafts project, this was a thing of artistic wonder, a full bouquet, a mixture of tens, twenties and Scottish fifties with tautly wound cash stems, unfurling cash petals and different sized coins glued to their centres. It's beautiful, Nathan told the haberdasher. What is, said the man. He was an older gentleman with eyebrow hairs that crawled like dying spider legs. Oh, this, pa, nothing really, 
just cash stitched and folded into a perfect little bundle of flowers, masterfully arranged, deliciously realised, pa, it's nothing. It's beautiful. She'll love it. Pa, thanks again. Pa. Once back at the apartment, Winnie and Soib watched curiously from the sofa as Nathan emerged from the bathroom in his finished cash suit. Now with cash pocket square and cash shoes and cash top hat, he'd shaved, combed his hair, tucked everything in, laced everything up, doused himself in the most expensive cologne he could find that luckily only smelled a little bit like gasoline. What do you think? he said. Winnie sneezed. Soib coughed, said, <coughs> How much cologne did you use? Only enough to smell spectacular. You smell like the cleaning stuff Soib uses. Nathan chuckled, said, <laughs> Yeah, I guess a little. You guess a little what? Soib said. She didn't know that Nathan could hear Winnie in his mind. They'd told her, but she just thought it was a cute little man's best friend sort of thing. Not that he actually had a telepathic link. Winnie said I smell like the toilet cleaner you use. Did she? Soib nodded blankly, stood. Right. She grabbed the broom and continued to sweep the floor. Oh wait, uh, Soib, I nearly forgot. Nathan reached into his pockets but came out empty. Hmm. Hold on, I don't have any cash on me. Soib looked at the suit, at the top hat, at the shoes. Give me a second. Nathan returned a moment later with the briefcase where he stored his cash. He placed it on the new oak coffee table. Unlatching it, the lid popped open. The cash mountain rose, some boiling over, spilling to the floor. Here, Nathan said, scooping up some of the spillage and handing her a scrunched handful. That should cover it. She took the cash without making any eye contact, her gaze fixed on the briefcase. What are you looking at? Nathan said, following her eyes. Oh, oh yeah, it's a pretty cool briefcase, right? It was my dad's, actually. I kind of stole it. When I left home, all I had was a bunch of stuff in my rucksack and whatever I could fit in the briefcase. Soib didn't look away from the cash mountain. Soib? Yes? We're heading out for our walk a little early today. You going to be okay? Can you lock up and leave the keys under the floor mat on your way out? Soib propped the sweeping brush against the wall. She smiled, eyes still vacant and wide. Yes, of cash, she said. I mean, of course. Just leave me the cash and I'll lock up. I mean the keys. Leave me the keys and I'll lock everything up. Cool. Cash? What? I mean, you guys have fun. Oh, we will, right, Winnie? We're going to save a life. Are we? Winnie cocked her head to the side. Yes. Right. Soib said, now crouched down, dustpan and brush in hand, sweeping what appeared to Nathan to be a clean floor. But still, she swept. She's a hard worker, that one, Nathan thought as they left. I should give her a raise. The car still wasn't fixed. There was still a stain on the stairs. There was still a floret of uneaten broccoli in the fridge. Life wasn't perfect, but sometimes you can't let imperfection stop you from moving forward. That's what Terry Rowlings always says in his tapes. Just bring it in when you're ready, the mechanic had said, but Nathan never did. It was too much effort. I can probably get some stain remover for the stain on the stairs, Soib had explained, if you want me to. Nathan declined, said he wanted the stain to remain there. The broccoli still said nothing, but Nathan looked like a million bucks. I mean, literally. 
He also felt healthier than he'd felt in years, his airways more open, his eyes wider and brighter, his skin less pale and no longer covered in a fine film of sweat, leaving greasy impressions on everything he touched. As he walked down the street, he bounced to imaginary funk music, chest raised, arms swinging, telepathic dog by his side. Walk like you've already won, was the advice from Terry Rollins, success coach to the stars. We're so rockstar, Winnie said, trotting along, trying to match Nathan's swagger, but popping up and down of each step. Without the music, or the audience, or the drinks that make me magic, and then do a sick. You're damn right we're rock stars, win. Are we going to see another rock star gig? No, no. Cran said the cellar bar was closed due to leakage. Leakage? It's okay. I think they've found a new venue. We'll see them soon enough, win. Phew. If all goes well today, we could take a plus one to the gig. What does that mean? Plus one means a friend. Me, you, and somebody else. Somebody I'm very excited for you to meet. Nathan's arms were getting tired from the swinging around so much. Swagger took a lot of effort, so he opted for short bursts of maximum swagger when somebody passed by, and a reduced swagger when alone. One lady walked by and Nathan winked. So did Winnie. So too did the lady. One man doffed his cap, and then so did Nathan. Winnie didn't have a cap, so she just barked. A male cyclist in tight, ball-popping lycra rode by and said, Aw, cute. Nathan said, Thanks, but I'm actually straight. Again, Winnie barked. A group of teenagers on bikes were about to pass by, and Nathan hid in an alleyway. Teenagers were scary. Winnie barked. Once the coast was clear, they regained their composures and crossed the road. Nathan still smiling like a lunatic on his way to a bank robbery, Winnie simply happy enough to be by his side. There, across the road, was the house where he'd been told to drop his ex-fiancé's belongings off. An expensive-looking white house with a white fence and a white car and a white door, upon which he was knocking. Knock, knock, Winnie said. The man who answered the door was huge in almost every sense of the word. Nathan was greeted by the man's stomach. Looking up, he saw the man's broad chest, his broad, chiselled chin, Neanderthal brow. He was a caveman in a polo neck, well-groomed, of good stock. Nathan swallowed, looked down at his cash bouquet. He readjusted his confidence, smiled again. Is Faye? Faye's not here, the man said. His voice was boomy but warm. He arched down to meet Nathan's eyes and a part of Nathan wilted. This was a kind man, a BFG, a big friendly guy. Nathan could tell some part of him wanted the big friendly guy to lift him up and into his bulking arms and cuddle him, place him on a bed of soft cushions, pat him on the head and tell him he was a good boy. Winnie moaned. Nathan shook the soft cushions from his mind. You're him, right? The man said. Nathan, look at the size of his Adam's apple, Nathan thought. It's pointing at me. Nathan nodded. Um, yeah, I'm not here to fight you. Well, that's good, said the big friendly guy. I don't think I'd be much good at fighting at the minute, mate. The man's eyes never left Nathan's. He didn't blink as he invited Nathan inside, sat him down on the large sofa in the light room where everything was comfortable and everything was the colour of different flavours of fruit, yoghurt and ice cream and the only things missing were the children and the family photos and Faye. 
It was an enormous house and even wearing his cash suit it stirred jealousy in Nathan. He was already thinking that he was going to buy himself an even bigger house than this one. He handed Winnie a block of cheese. But as big as the house was, so was the man, whose calf muscles stretched his trouser seams to their limits. He was a personal trainer, right? He was Faye's personal trainer. He was the other boyfriend. Nathan hated him, didn't he? Not really. Nathan didn't hate anyone other than himself. Winnie sniffed the scented candles by the fireplace, and the man handed Nathan a single biscuit, but no cup of tea. I'm out of milk. Really sorry, I've been a little out of sorts these past few weeks. I've barely left the house. It's just hard, you know. Oddly, the man didn't sit down on the opposite sofa, but sat next to Nathan. His extra weight lifted Nathan upwards. Biscuit, Winnie said, offering her paw. She's a sweetie, isn't she? She's mine. You can't have her. Sorry, Nathan said. You don't need to apologise. There was a moment of silence. Nathan looked anywhere but at the man. But I do, he said. Nathan saw a canvas picture on the far wall, half obscured by the living room door. It was a photo of Faye and this man, posing in some kind of studio setup. The contrast turned all the way up so their eyes and teeth were abrasively white. Their happiness was painful to look at. The man continued. I knew what we were doing was wrong, but when we, when we met, it was this amazing feeling that took over. I, we, couldn't stop ourselves and we knew it was wrong, but I'm really sorry, but the wrongness only made it more fun. I never intended to hurt you. Neither of us did. I'm really very sorry. Winnie barked at the man and he stopped talking. Warmth filled Nathan's cheeks. Where is she? Nathan said. Popped out for milk or something. The man took in a deep breath. You know she was sick, the man said. Samba. That was the name from the text message that Nathan read that night. Samba. Not his name, probably, but the name of where they met. He was Faye's personal trainer. They met in his Samba class. He looked like a Roy, or a Rod, or an Ian. Nathan placed the cash bouquet on the armrest. Winnie dropped her paw, forgot about the biscuit, and instead sniffed an odd patch of brown on the carpet. It was the same shade of stain Nathan had in his flat, on the stairs. She was so sure that she was going to get better, mate, that she was going to start living how she wanted to. Oh, they gave her the all clear, but they shouldn't have. She had a thyroid storm, and I'm not good with the doctor stuff, but something about a system filling with an overwhelming amount of thyroxin. Ian, Roy, or Rod. What are you saying? She never got better. Not really. Am I still smiling? Nathan thought. The kind man with the muscles placed a hand on Nathan's shoulder. His face, big and lovely, red cheeks, perfect stubble, was struggling. The kind man's eyes watered. The kind man's lips quivered. The kind man had been a sad man this whole time. I'm so sorry, the sad man said. Samba said. Maybe Ian, maybe Roy. Just one more reason, maybe Rod. But I've got so much cash now, Nathan said. Yeah, I can see that, matey. I can see the the nice cash flowers there. Great cash suit. Lovely stuff. 
Really lovely, mate. I reckon we can take them to her. What do you mean? Another deep breath. Another quivering of the lip. We scattered our ashes at the downside crematorium. It's not too far from here. I can drive us over there if you wanted. I could pick up some milk along the way. She'd never got better, he said. Her ashes. I'm now rich and she's now ashes. We've both changed so much, Faye. Wait, that's not right. But I'm rich now, Nathan said, biting the biscuit in half. Look at my suit, he mumbled, crumbs spilling out. I'm fucking rich. Yeah, she was going to leave you and come back to me because I had so much cash now. That was the plan. I'm a winner now. I'm I'm better now. I did all those fucking stupid Terry Rollins tapes. Oh yeah, those are great. I'm a lifetime member of the Motivation Nation subscription package. I took the one about being bigger twice. Maybe three times. Or was it five? Shut up! Shut up, I'm trying to think. But life got re-evaluated. Promises were made. What's happening? Winnie sat by Nathan's side, placed her head on his knee. Shush, Nathan said to Winnie before massaging his temples. I made a promise to do anything in my power to make the world bearable again, to be grateful and to love and to eat better and to smile and maybe just maybe make life just a little less fucking lonely and a little less all the time terrifying. Nathan's fingertips were numb. Light rain patted the windows. How can a person live in a place that rains? And with numb fingertips. I promised, Nathan said, standing suddenly. I'm, I'm sorry, the sad man said, taller than Nathan was when sat down. Nathan didn't plan on screaming that day, but scream he did. It was supposed to be a roar, but his voice snapped like wood in fire, like a distant tree falling. His broken voice barely reached the ceiling. It barely reached the kind, sad, muscly man's face. So Nathan screamed at himself, at his suit, his cash suit that was supposed to make things better again. Foamy spit dribbled onto the cash shirt and cash tie. Somebody was telling him it was going to be okay and it was either Winnie or the sad man, but Nathan wasn't listening. He cocked his arm back and launched the biscuit half into the wall. It shattered. Crumbs exploded. Winnie didn't even move for them. Nathan left the kind man and his cash bouquet and left the house. Bubbles rose in his chest again, expanded, tightened, tarry things that wanted to pop but couldn't. Nathan felt them in his warming cheeks, at the back of his aching throat, in his throbbing forehead. He was running. He couldn't breathe, but he was running out the door, out into the open. An old lady winked at him, but he ran right past her. A man on a bicycle nearly crashed into him. Nathan didn't stop to say sorry. He was too busy running. He didn't know where he was running. But still he ran because something was about to pop. Something had to pop. Winnie was behind him, not speaking or not speaking loud enough over Nathan's internal screaming. His pineal gland was as useless as the broccoli in his fridge. In the corner shop, hitching breaths, tears streaming, wet from the rain outside, Nathan ripped squares of cash from his trousers, leaving holes exposing his pale skin. I need, he said, I need the tools. The tape. I need the tape. The cashier, a woman with hair like trapped smoke, nodded, pointed to the cellar tape next to the counter. No, I need proper tape. DIY stuff. That's all we have, dear. Fine. The plastic piping. Got any plastic piping? We got a, a hose pipe out back. It's one we used to fill up the mop bucket when we're cleaning. That'll do. It's not really for sale. I'll pay you enough to buy 20 more hose pipes. Winnie whimpered, pawed at his side. 
No, Nathan said, taking Winnie by her raggedy old collar and putting her outside the shop. Stay. The ingredients for the perfect old-fashioned cocktail, the rye whiskey, Angostura bitters, a brown sugar cube and a fresh orange. Miss, he said, as the lady came out from the back, dirty and dripping hosepipe in hand. Is, is this your entire alcohol selection? It is. Nathan looked at the small fridge, scanned left to right. All they had was a small range of extra-strength lagers. Nathan grabbed two six-packs of the ones with the most X's on the cans. How much? She was looking at his suit now, gawping. How much? She told him, but he didn't listen. Just paid with his cash pocket square and cash tie and cash shoes and left. The cash briefcase was gone. There was a note in its place written on the topmost piece of a stack of post-its. I cleaned the oven. It was super dirty. I'm gone now. You don't need me anymore. Don't look for me. I'm too busy looking for myself. Soib XOXO P.S. Your dog is weird. It didn't matter anymore. Nothing did. Nathan picked up the post-its and the pen and stuffed them into what remained of his pocket. He left the apartment, shoved the plastic bag of tools and beer into the passenger seat of his car. This wasn't exactly as he'd planned it, but it's like how Terry Rowling says, done is better than perfect. The makeshift tools would have to do, and the quicker he could do it, the better. He opened the car door and Winnie went to get inside. No, Win, you're not coming. Winnie tried again, but Nathan lifted her out. She tried one more time, and Nathan put her back on the pavement, looked her dead in the eyes and said, No. This time, she listened. It seemed she was trying to speak, her eyes widening as she whined, but still Nathan couldn't hear her. He'd seen this look on her face before. Last time he'd left, he'd promised he'd come back. This time, he wouldn't lie. It was never real anyway, Nathan thought. It was only in your mind. You don't have a telepathic bond with a dog, you turd. Nathan exhaled, told Winnie one more time to stay. And for him, she did. Nathan climbed into the car, slammed the door shut. He turned the key and the car sputtered to life and rolled out of the parking spot. The car still didn't have any brakes, but that was okay. There would be no stopping now. He squeaked and bumbled onto the main road and in the rearview mirror saw Winnie sitting looking and waiting she'll be fine she'll be fine she'll be better off anyway without the brakes he nearly crashed into a van that had parked up outside the building the hairy man in the passenger seat jerked his face up against the glass he screamed something at Nathan continued to yell until his face turned the shade of a boiled thumb even people in vans hate me now Nathan thought just one more reason he considered that perhaps if he looked again in his rearview mirror, he might see Winnie chasing after him, and he'd hear her voice and his mind would crackle with life, and he would run in circles to metal songs, and together they would run nakedly in the woods and eat another deer, and he would smile again, and keep on smiling. But Faye was dead, and she didn't want him, and Winnie wasn't there, and she wasn't chasing the car, and he couldn't blame her. I'm sorry I'm such a failure, Nathan said, a V of blackbirds flying overhead, pointing the way. Him singing a David Bowie song that didn't exist. Him driving and unable to stop. Him leaving.
Winnie did try to follow Nathan. She gave chase as soon as the car left the parking lot, but something slipped over her throat, yanked her to the ground. She yelped as she choked on the tightening wire collar as it bit into her fur and skin. Two people that smelled of soap bubbles dressed in overalls moved to her. They towered over her as the dark clouds covered the last of the clear sky. Winnie thrashed, but the collar only tightened. She couldn't breathe. She screamed for Nathan with her mind, but she could no longer hear him, feel him. Relax, little one, said the taller of the two as they pushed a needle into her neck. And the shorter one came at her with a pair of scissors, snipped away her old and worn dog collar and let it fall to the ground. Nathan drove to the long road that cut through the middle of the woods, took his foot off the accelerator and let the car slow to a roll before quickly turning right. It disappeared into the embankment, almost rolled up the other side, but slammed into an oak tree. It wasn't a hard slam, but it took Nathan a while to get his breath back and to get the taste of blood from his mouth. Falling leaves and twigs peppered the windscreen. Red lights blinked on the dashboard. Who needs brakes when you have a large oak tree to stop you? Nathan used the windscreen wiper to clear away the debris, hoping to look to the skies and see starlight, and his friend, the moon, but saw only dirty cotton clouds blanketing everything, thick and all-encompassing. There would be no stars tonight, not for Nathan. He turned on the radio, thinking that he would maybe find a David Bowie song, he would settle for some Brian Eno, or hey, he'd even take a Taylor Swift song. But all he could get from his system was static. He tried turning it off and on again, but it didn't work. He punched the radio twice, then thrice, but it really hurt his hand, and only made the static louder, and now he couldn't turn it off at all. This tree I crashed into just broke my radio, Nathan thought. Why does the universe hate me? He took the hose pipe and the sticky tape and climbed out of the car. Rain sprinkled his face. The wind nibbled his ears. He wasn't in the private, secluded spot he'd always hoped to commit suicide in. He was only a stone's throw from the main road. But it was dark, though. Would be darker when he turned off the headlights. Nobody will notice me anyway, he thought. Nobody ever does. He used just about the entire roll of tape to get the hose pipe to sit still in the exhaust then ripped handfuls of cash from his jacket and plugged them into the gaps to get a tight seal. Threading the other end through the car window, he rolled it back up to clamp it in, and then climbed back into the driver's seat, back into the cold, searing static. Shivering like a wet dog, he buttoned up his cash jacket and pulled down his cash top hat. Almost there. Almost there. He opened a can of the extra-strength lager, sniffed it. His eyebrows twitched. He took a deep breath, then sipped. His gorge rose. Retching a little, he realised it wasn't quite the perfect old-fashioned cocktail that he'd planned on drinking. He took another sip. Oof! He said, involuntarily. He sipped again, burped, eyebrows twitched once more, and then he turned the key. The car that had failed him in life turned over easily. 
purring as it fed its exhaust fumes back into itself, into Nathan, into his holes. He exhaled, drank the terrible tasting lager, listened to the screaming white static, watched raindrops patter and drip down the windscreen. Wearing what remained of his cash suit, he coughed and cried as the fumes slowly soaked into his lungs. It was quite a pathetic suicide, but that felt about right to Nathan. He'd lived a pathetic life, so why stop now? Under his breath, he sang one of Cran's songs, the one about being a wolf. With each sip of the drink, his senses numbed. With each cough, the sky darkened, each raindrop taking a little longer to drip. The beer took longer to journey from tongue to gut. The white noise grew longer, wider, the sound waves transmuting into vast rolling hillsides. Nathan finding himself slipping down into the in-between. He couldn't feel his fingers, his hands or his legs. It was as if he was disowning his own flesh. Everything stretched, everything dripped, everything faded, numbed. He didn't even feel as the airbags deployed, only an hour after he crashed into the tree. The nylon bag against his face was soft, the welcoming pillow of his deathbed. Nathan didn't close his eyes. They closed all on their own. You've been listening to My Dog Shits Cash, written and narrated by me, Luke Condor, with music by myself, as to Grondo, Chris Abriski, Ben Duncan, and End Arch Rival. Sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. For more of my work, head over to lukecondor.com, that's Condor with a K. Uh, be sure to leave a review, tell your friends, and look after your mind and your pets. Until next time.